Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Dr. Eileen Marty joins us now, professor at Florida International University. Dr. Marty, good morning. We heard yesterday that FDA advisors narrowly voted in favor of Pfizer's RSV vaccine for older adults, despite some safety concerns. And I'd like you to take us behind that headline and uh, give us your opinion on that. Yeah, um, so it was an excellent set of studies that were presented by Pfizer, a multinational study. And by the way, this is a two-day meeting. One meeting was about the Pfizer RSV vaccine, and then today... Um, the discussion is going to be about the um, uh, Glasgow uh, Smith-Kline RSV vaccine. Both are using incredible new technology. Um, both are using data that shows that you, if you use a pre-fusion form, and so they stabilize the um they're basically, if you think about it, everything you know about COVID, right, and about the SARS-2 virus, the technology to create these really good vaccines that we made against um, uh, the SARS-2 virus used data from RSV studies, from studies on res- um, the, the respiratory syncytial virus that, that the announcement yesterday was all about, in that we realized that stabilizing uh, a, a normally unstable shape provides far better immunity. And so this Pfizer vaccine um, works, has very high efficacy against the worst things, which is hospitalizations and deaths. Um, And we usually see somewhere between, in the United States, between 60 and 160 or 170,000 hospitalizations uh, from RSV in older adults who just don't produce the high levels of something called interferon gamma that we see in younger individuals, and so they're more prone to, to problems. And in addition, older adults um, often have comorbidities, additional problems that put them at higher risk from an infection from RSV. And, and it, it kills somewhere between six and 10,000 deaths uh, of people per year in the United States alone. So it's something that we really needed a vaccine for. Um, it, it's, it has uh, enormous benefits. Now, the the concern was that there was a person in Argentina and another one in Japan that developed one uh, a typical form of Guillain-Barre and the other one in Japan uh, an atypical form of Guillain-Barre. But in both of those cases, in both of those cases, if you look under the, the curtains, you realize that they had other reasons for developing Guillain-Barre. One developed it almost instantaneously, uh, you know, on the same day, which is too soon for it to be caused by the vaccine. And the other one, the person in Japan, had a different underlying condition. So, uh, you know, the fact that, yes, there there was uh, less than 0.3% significant adverse event from the vaccine when when you look under the curtain it probably wasn't uh as as serious a thing as one has to think about now this new vaccine that we're going to be talking about today which is the one by Glasgow smith klein hasn't even shown that at all in and it is also another multinational study with a different way 
of providing uh, the vaccine. So the Pfizer vaccine looks at two types of RSV, an A and B, and has both of those in the vaccine and uses no adjuvant at all. The, uh, the Glasgow-Smith-Kline one is, is one that... Um, the, uh, the the it uses a um, a liposome. It, it uses the same thing that it used in its Shingrex vaccine to provide one type of you know the A type of the uh, but again with the idea of this prefusion exposure of a recombinant RSV and so that and that also has tremendously excellent efficacy uh data so i think both vaccines are probably going to get the the nod up um and and that's great that we would have two available rsv vaccines Mm -hmm. and and dr marty for uh, us junior infectious disease specialists uh (laughs) rsv stands for what respiratory syncytial virus um which um, it, it's a virus that sort of makes your some cells fuse together, and that's called a syncytium, and that's why it has that name. Um, and it's a virus that uh, has been a big problem in little children for a long time and really has been a problem in older adults for a long time, but we weren't testing older adults for it until fairly recently. Now that we are, we're realizing how many of those uh, res- lower respiratory diseases that we uh, that we see in adults were caused by this thing and uh, and how important it is to actually um, prevent infection from RSV in older adults. I know last week we talked about this a little bit, but as you know, for the first time, the FBI director, Christopher Ray publicly acknowledged that uh, his agency believes the most likely cause of COVID-19 spreading to humans was a mistake at a Chinese lab. Uh, are you agreeing with that assessment? So the F, there so there are nine different uh, Intel community umbrellas, if you will, that the U.S. has. Um, two of them have favor with low confidence, and one is the Department of Energy, and the other is the FBI, that it could have been a lab leak, um, and and uh, and the evidence isn't that great. That's why it's low confidence. And one of the things that they said that I just found laughable was, oh, look at how quickly the, vac- the, the Chinese were able to make a vaccine. Well, the vaccine that the Chinese made was simply taking the virus that they found in people, killing it with these toxic chemicals, washing out the toxic chemicals and giving the dead you know, virus as a vaccine. And it wasn't a very good vaccine. So that's really not a very good evidence for it being a lab leak, right? That's just, mm-hmm. hey, this is how the Chinese handled something. But look, um, most of the agencies still think that it was a natural spillover. There's a lot of data that supports that, especially since you know that pandemics have been going on historically, time out of mind, long before there were labs of any kind, long before germ theory was even known. Um, And so these things do happen naturally. Spillovers do happen naturally. And it's complicated how they happen. It's not just a matter of uh, an animal infection getting into a human. It's a matter of that animal, a virus or bacterium or whatever, adapting to humans and becoming easily transmissible from person to person. Mm-hmm. And so it normally takes a lot of spills and, uh, and a lucky virus, uh, if you will, 
to actually mm-hmm. become a pandemic. And yes, it, it's conceivably easier that it could have come out of the lab, Bob, but if it did come out of a lab, then that would be great news because that means that fixing how we do lab exit protocols could really reduce the risk of pandemics. Unfortunately, that's a sort of a naive view, in my, mm-hmm. in my opinion, since we know that, that, that pandemics can happen without just uh, labs. Dr. Eileen Marty, I hope, uh, Dr. Marty, after my questions this morning, you'll consider promoting me from junior infectious disease specialist to honorary infectious disease specialist. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Talk next week. (laughs) Thank you very much.